Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Servodio, but today I'm really just a passenger on an epic journey that you and I are both about to embark on, dear listener. Joining us today on the pod is Diego Argotti, the mastermind behind Poltergeist, the brash and bold new food concept at Button Mash Arcade over in Echo Park. Poltergeist has been making noise for serving up mind-blowing dishes like Penang lamb neck with saffron buns, green curry bucatini, and my personal favorite, game hen stuffed with sticky rice. What I didn't know until I talked to Diego is that the journey that brought him to opening Poltergeist is even crazier than the food. Over the next hour, you'll hear a story that includes a helicopter crash, being stood up at the altar, and an acid-fueled walk from Silver Lake to the Arts District that resulted in landing an opportunity at LA's hottest new restaurant. Argotti's tale is one of perseverance, heartbreak, reinvention, and above all, passion. It made me laugh, gasp, tear up, and yes, it made me unbelievably hungry. It's the type of story that makes you grateful to live in the best food city in the world. There, I said it. Quick trigger warning, we discuss some heavy topics on this episode, including addiction, self-harm, and even Alfredo sauce. But I mean it when I say, this is a conversation I'll never forget. And like a great meal, I am so excited to share it with all of you. So without further ado, let's chow down. Joining us today on the podcast is Burbank's finest. It's the chef owner of Poltergeist in Echo Park. Diego Argotti. Diego, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, man. Um, yeah, just, just trucking along. Yeah, joining us from uh, on your day off. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, of course. Of course. What's uh what's a day off like for you? Um I have one. I have one on Monday. Yeah. Um, and I am I I, I find a I share a lot of space with uh, different pop-ups sometimes. So I have someone from Bravit who she's about to open up a spot in like two months. Um, and right now she's kind of, she, she does prep and my partner and one of the owners, Jordan comes in at like 10 AM and it's just like a lot of cleaning and it's almost like you threw a party for like six days and then it's the next day. And, uh, and then there's like a lot of just prep I do by myself and just kind of blast a lot of death metal and just kind of revamp, like what, what did I do here and why did I do it? Now, what are we doing again? And then usually I get dinner with like one of my staff members or we'll go out to eat for like three hours afterwards and then come back and like brine chickens and brine lamb necks on mushrooms. Is uh does does brining chicken and bri- brining uh lamb on mushrooms is that significantly different than doing it sober? I, I wouldn't. Um, it's it's funny because like yeah, I uh, it's it's just kind of how I do things. Um, <laughs> sometimes you know, I I I didn't start taking hallucinogenics until I, I like I got sober from like alcohol and cocaine. So it's very different from doing lamb knocks on cocaine. That's that's yeah. that's a lot faster, but a lot less fast at the same time too. Yeah, probably less sustainable. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot angrier. It's just yeah. it almost looks like uh, you have. There's a difference in being on mushrooms with like 60 lamb necks and like 50 Cornish game hens in a room. 
and you're just kind of listening to music and you're kind of vibing and hanging out then like you're just doing like three lines and chugging chugging like a warm heineken and then having a sharp knife yeah like the vibe it's just <laughs> these uh do the cornish game heads or the lamb neck ever come to life during one of these sessions no never, no never uh, no <laughs> I'll take it off the menu if that happens. <laughs> that's not, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not FDA approved. Uh, that's sick, man. Well, uh, let's start at the very beginning. So you're from Burbank, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm from, um, my parents are both from Ecuador. And uh, my dad, my dad moved here when he was 12. Um, yeah, no, my, my grandma was, uh, I think one of the first, definitely in like ecuador like she got divorced really really young and had like three kids including my dad and um it was just like really shunned upon at that time and and then she learned how to like she was a seamstress and like um on top of her reputation like became friends with like a, a designer who was like openly gay in ecuador which was like not fully accepted at all so he moved over to the U.S. to make dresses for like Lucille Ball and different different like celebrities um, in the '60s. And my grandma and he brought my grandma with him, and like she left her family in a small pueblo, but was able to get citizenship with like my dad and everyone. So he moved here when he was like 12 years old. And uh, I don't know if you ever been to the Virgil, um, yeah. But he that that used to be uh, an L.A. Times newspaper like distribution center and my dad would like that was his first job when he moved here was like selling newspapers out of there and bicycle and like so super just graduated hollywood high in 1969 if like john ritter um was a bus boy at like or no was a, a bag boy at bonds in like safway and uh actually managed the bonds down in montana like a couple blocks over from there um and grew up in in, in echo park and the east side and and then crack happened and uh yeah. he, he we moved to Burbank um when I, right before i was born crack happens in general not not to him not to him no no i i no he's never i don't know where the fuck i got all my addictions from but like my family like i don't i, I haven't seen anyone in my family drink more than like a beer or two yeah in one yeah. sitting ever so it's it's fascinating that, that, like, that, I feel like I've heard that happen. You know, sometimes uh, if you don't, you know, if it's not in the family, sometimes you just find it on your own, you know? Uh, well, I found it. <laughs> it was, um, but yeah, no, then I, uh, I I grew up in Burbank. Um, we were like one of the first like Latino families. Um, our neighbor was like from Vietnam and then it was us. And it was, it was really cool because it was just like a big suburban white community. And we'll be like, you know, roasting pigs and cumbia bands. And my dad used to play a lot of music on the side. And it was just, it was a very surreal um, world to live in. And, uh, you know, we live right behind Hollywood sign. And and so L.A. was always just like a bike ride away. Yeah. And did, uh, did that, the cumbia bands and the whole hog roasting, did that make your house is one of the more popular ones for your friends to go to a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent it was just like we also have a shit ton of fruit we have like we are just you know 
like very just like yo we just stewed a whole goat come for dinner you know like a family that uh, honestly it's that's kind of how i cook because we grew up really poor but i felt like we were like uh we were catfish to like just believe how 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 rich we were when it comes to other things so like uh if lobster or crab legs were it was like the last day at the supermarket and they're about to go on clearance like on midnight my dad would buy a bunch of them and wake us up would have like a hard curfew like very very strict household but he would wake us up at midnight and like boil crab legs on a school night and just like have us eat crab or have us eat lobster and he's like it's just to know that it's still is as fresh as what you would have had before midnight but now we had it for like half off or something That's or these, these deals would have like all the time like like a butter like well, i remember once he grabbed fucking jumbo shrimp covered in bacon and I, it was i was like eight years old and it was just like wake wake up eat this go to sleep and it was just like were, doing drugs were you pissed when this happened when he would wake you up to eat like jumbo shrimp in the middle of the night as an eight-year-old or were you just like he he worked he worked all the time you know my mom my mom raised with my sister and he worked like two jobs he was an electrician at night in the morning and then he uh he managed like regionally managed like so many bonds and safways he was the manager during punch drunk love um with adam sandler and he was like the manager so he was there with adam sandler who was like my hero when i was like eight years old and just you know like shit like that um samuel jackson as mace windu you got like his autograph and he was like in sherman oaks i was just i would i wouldn't we would go somewhere and he would just have so many different connections and know people and I thought he was. I thought he owned all the bonds until I realized he's just. You know, it's it's. It was really cool to see that. And but the stewed part was like something that just. I don't know. It it resonates with me. Um, we have a a lamb shoulder, or a, it's it's a goat stew. It's a national dish in Ecuador with gooseberries and goat, and it's almost like an osa buco. And I remember like I was like four or five and it was a braised stew with the bone and i just remember my dad sucking out the marrow and i did the same thing he did yeah and like till this day i remember it being the most like disgusting and beautiful thing i've ever had i almost like threw up right away and then i was like what the <laughs> fuck was that like till till I, that's one thing that's changed me since i was like very young but then my mom would like fry a whole beef tongue you know because like ecuadorian food is so different and it's hard to relate with so it was like there isn't any here. It's really hard to find Ecuadorian food over here. Are there any Ecuadorian you know, There was a couple that a lot of them closed down or a lot of them like changed, but like there really isn't. Oh, Casario on Silver Lake Boulevard was one of the first ones and that, that now is not there, but like really something to do with justice is like now it's it's hard to find. Food's always been like it sounds like in your in your family like did you always did you always love it or was it more just like it was it just part of the furniture growing up like excellent food i i always loved i i definitely like uh something about like making recipes was always like fascinating to me and i remember like my my parents wouldn't really like read or have a lot of literature at home and i'd always bring that you know so like mm -hmm. 
I'd find a recipe and I'll do this and I'll do, and that, that part was always fascinating. Um, but cooking was always, always there. It was always like a big part of the household in a way that like, I, I remember growing up with all these kids in, in Burbank, a lot of their parents were divorced or like single parents and we'll go to their house and they'll have Taco Bell and fast food every night. It was takeout. And I remember like we would never eat takeout unless it was like something special, but they'll come to our house and they were just like in love with the, there was a home cooked meal every day. And for me, it was almost at some point, like it was almost like boring, you know, until I realized like how different would, would, would eat rice and a pork chop with pickled onions and a, just a whole banana sliced up with avocado. And that's just like, that's just what you would eat in Ecuador, but you wouldn't have that anywhere else. So you have like, fucking daniel daniel zartner from Furbank coming in to eat a banana and like and then watch people experience that is something that i i know i kind of like really enjoyed yeah which is even when my parents got divorced i'll never forget like my my dad would work a morning job get home at two and then have to leave at 3 30 i'll walk home by 3 30 like like 10 minutes away from the school and he'll just turn a corner and always say bye to me when he was like going back to work and he'd always say turn the rice off in 10 minutes there's a timer and he'll make perfect rice every single fucking day every single day to the day now where i'm just like dude what what like it's 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 something that if anyone says that they're not scared of making rice on a pot in a pot definitely for other people it's it's something like i, I remember even i'm i'm you know you never know if it's going to come out right yeah you never know if it's going to overcook. You never know how your flame is. You never know if someone's going to fuck with it. And for like that man to do that every single fucking day was like the biggest flex I've seen in a long time. You know, the regimentation of it too. No, I I hear that because I um I grew up in an Italian family where like we would cook all the time and like I had the incredible home cooked meals. But yeah, sometimes I was jealous that like my friends would just like order the. Uh, order the like frozen pizzas or whatever. And, and I would look forward to going there almost like as a change of pace sometimes. Oh yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like that bucket of KFC. Sometimes you're like, damn, um, that actually sounds like the exciting thing to eat. But as you grow older, you realize like, wow, I had a really good. Yeah. Now you realize you're like, wow, I had it like, yeah, no, it's something my, also my, my best friend growing up, um she was homeschooled but we knew we met each other in like elementary school and her mom was from the philippines and her dad is from italy he was from pittsburgh mm -hmm. and uh and he was just like italian as fuck and she was just like filipino as fuck and but she also like made so they'll make pizza doughs and they'll make adobo and they'll make this and they'll, and i just remember like like um I would cook a lot too. Actually, I got my, my first recipe of the first dish I ever made was like a fettuccine Alfredo that she made. And I remember like like that sauce, I like I still have the recipe somewhere written down. And I just remember making it at home. And um and I got like the tablespoons confused with the salt and it was the most unedible thing <laughs> in this like I've I've ever made. And I remember my grandma eating it and she'll like she'll like be like it's just eat the whole plate. And uh, was it a cream-based recipe, or was it like the proper like butter, just butter and cheese? 
butter and cheese and a little bit of cream and milk. Like your American version of it, which I was just like fascinated by. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alfredo is one of the most interesting dishes in that I never had it growing up and I came here and I just assumed it was an American thing, right? And sure, the cream heavy one is, but actually it is an Italian thing. It's just, we just call it butter and butter and cheese, but there's, there is that one restaurant in Rome called D'Alfredo or something. They, they say they created it. It's mainly like a bunch of butter, cheese, and pasta water, almost like cacio e pepe, but a lot looser, right? Exactly. And they make yeah. it table side. They just, yeah. they're thick. They just like bring you the, 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 the pasta, butter, cheese, keep mixing it with pasta water and it forms the cream right there next to your table. Menu idea for you. Just (laughs) when did you decide you were gonna become a professional chef? That's a loaded question. And there's like two there's two stories behind that that like I always like I try to avoid telling people just because it just it just it's just a lot and I I could summarize them really quickly. Um but I'll try to do it in like four to five minutes, but just like, I'm not making anything up and I just, it's a lot of shit and I'm okay. And it's, that's all you need to know. But, um, in the next like five minutes or 10, um, there's going to be a helicopter accident. There's going to be an engagement. There's going to be, uh, me getting left at the altar. There's going to be a lot of shit. There's going to be me giving up a bunch of fucking full rides to scholarships. And yeah, that's like within from 17 to 20 is what shaped me to wanting to be a chef when I never wanted to do it at all. Wow. So what did you want to do when you were 17? I, I used to play a lot of music. Um, I, I wanted to be like, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I just used to like, playing a bunch of like hardcore bands and I just wanted to be a musician. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't very good, uh, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, that's kind of one of the main things is like, I'd always try to do, I like, I, I, one of my first, I always wanted to be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just couldn't draw. <laughs> and there's, uh, this guy named Lalo, he, he used to do this this uh, piece for like LA Times. I think he still does um, a small segment called La Cucaracha. And I remember I used to like email him and he was like, just continuing trying it. And like, I would just, I just couldn't, anything I wanted to draw would not look right. It would just wouldn't even look the way I wanted it to. So I tried painting and like same thing. And music was one of the things I got close to where I can have an idea mm-hmm. and actually replicate it but then playing live or redoing that again in repetition, it would be so hard for me to like actually do it um, to the point where it just, it, it became a big problem for me to like perform and like, just I'll get super anxious and almost got signed to a band with, with my friends. And I remember like a really big performance. I just, I got really nervous and chugged the whole bottle of like warm hypnotic in front of like 3000 people. And then just like, like bombed it on stage. So, um, were you guitar? Yeah. Guitar and bass and just like would scream a lot. Um, but I think I started with trombone. I used to be in marching band, like 
you know, just a total fucking little drama kid. Yeah. With a little trombone and long hair in Burbank. And it was, it's, I'm really proud of Burbank now. And at the time it was just like freaks and geeks. And, you know, I remember like just the way I'd hold myself was, you know, it was, it was a special place. And a lot, a lot of like cooks and chefs from my school and from other schools. And like, we all like people own a lot of stuff. Um, the guy who owns uh civil coffee. Yeah. Uh, at the brothers, uh, Alan Ross used to like, I, I would fall like he, he sat behind me for like three, four years, you know, um, shit like that. Like, uh, this Aaron from like Detroit Vessi, she has like a bunch of like different like pop-ups and stuff, a bunch of people from school, like, and it's really cool to see that. But I also, did a lot of photography and that's kind of where it all started. There was a, a competition in high school to do um, pretty much take pictures of food from sponsored by Poquito Moss because the, the lady from or the, the owner of Poquito Moss's daughter went to school with us and he like sponsored this thing and you take a picture and they'll get you like a burrito and a bunch of my friends knew I liked to cook and they were asking me to like do these shoots. And um, I just took all these ideas from like Alinea and like the fat duck was coming out and all this shit that I would read that I was just fascinated by cooking. But like, I, I'll be honest, I never thought I could actually be good enough. I didn't even, the idea of being, I, I, I had more confidence in being like a renowned rock star or like playing music professionally than even the idea of, of cooking. Um, or being a chef. Was that because of the cartoon experience where you're like, I really wanted to do that? No, it was more like I, I would, I just watched it so much. I love, I love, I would watch so much fucking Food Network every, every day. Like to the point where like, when I was deciding whether I wanted to do this for a living, I'd like call ex-girlfriends I haven't talked to. And I'm like, did, did I, how much, was that my decision to like watch that much food network and like <laughs> was this just something i i always wanted or is that did you want that too and and to the point where like it was something i've always just there was a very like heavy set like a place for me and and like my high school like girlfriend at the time was the culinary teacher's ta and her son was in my photo class and i was like the ta for photo class or, and um through the competition i used her 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 classroom a lot and she like sponsored me to go to le cordon bleu which i just didn't even like the idea of it long story short they got me in a competition and i was like just going to culinary school every like two weeks or three weeks through this program in pasadena and i was still in high school and I uh, I competed a dessert competition and they gave you like 10 ingredients and I just YouTubed everything, sugar sculptures, things that were so ambitious to this point would scare me if I had to do now. And I just like learned everything like three days. And I just remember like my, um, my dad gave me a piece of paper that said not one, maybe two, but probably three. After the competition, I didn't get first place and I didn't get second, but I got third. And he picked me up from the house and I just reeked of alcohol and I was up all night. And he said, if you actually tried and didn't party with your friends, you would have got first place. But since you didn't, 
he's not third. Uh, but he knew I was, but he, he guessed what place I was going to get. Yeah, right, right, right. Wow. Before they even announced everything. And I was like, fuck. And then I had like this $10,000 check, but they really liked, I was like the people's choice of whatever. So they did a top 10 competition with a whole chicken. And I was going to do it. And I remember right before the, the culinary teacher was um, just a big mentor of me. And I just like, I didn't, I didn't want to do it, but I secretly did. And and then we went to prom and right before prom, she was like, you should really, really do the competition. And she was going to Catalina Island the next day. And then she died in a helicopter accident. So then I stopped cooking and I pulled everything out. And then I, I had, I still had like some scholarship money from the competition. And I just like, I went to like, I went to college. I went to Pasadena city college. I didn't want to cook anymore. I'm like, I'm over it. Um, was it cause just, just cause you yeah i didn't even i was she was like my support system for that i don't even i didn't even know what the fuck i was doing you know yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden your your mentor dies and you didn't even want the mentor and then you know yeah you're not gonna fucking continue it and um so then i, I went i went to like pasadena city college and i just start i really love numbers and I was just studying. I was trying to get some different transferring to either like Berkeley and other UCs. And I was, I was getting some, I was doing really well. Um, the first time in, in school where I was always doing well, but like I was just excelling in different ways that like um, I was very comfortable with. I, I like the competition of just like taking tests and studying and getting different things done and it's just something I've never really focused on so much um so it was going really well and I was, was going to go transfer um either up north and I had a couple different scholarships and it was it was it was cool and then I met a girl who's riding a bicycle and I haven't cooked for a couple of years and I just I was riding a bike and I just remember just like falling in love and um and then I started making weed brownies. Wait, in Pasadena wait, wait. City College. Was was she riding a bike as well, or were you? I, I was I was I was riding a bicycle, and then I gave myself a flat tire so I could talk to her. Wow! And uh, and this was while you were at Pasadena City College. Yeah, this is like right around that time, and I just she was from Pittsburgh, and um, one thing led to another, and just like super, like just fell in love like super hard, and. Uh, and then I wanted to take her out and I didn't have any money. And I started like, it was like 2007, 2008. I was like 18 or 19. And, um, and we just start, I started making weed brownies. And this is like, right. When like weed was kind of legal, but not legal. And you can get a yeah. medical card. And I was making so many weed brownies and they were called like Mr. Pink's home goods. And this is like when I was like Photoshopping the little zigzag guy with a little pink, uh brownie and i and it was just like i kind of got i got back into cooking to make drugs so i could sell those drugs to take her out to dinner 
And oh, that makes me feel so much better. I thought you were saying your love language to her was the wheat brownies and just feeding her wheat brownies. And I was like, no, no, she was, she was, no, that's, that's weird. No, she was, she's super Christian and I lied about it. And I lied about my faith in God. So I'm probably going to burn in hell for sure for other reasons as well. But I just remember being like, yo, I, I love you. And, um, and that just turned into a whole other thing. And we, we, I just like, on campus of like of sell birthday cakes to like teachers and like deans of admissions and stuff for like 300 400 and like i would i would have these paper bags full of these brownies and an apple and a capri sun and just fucking just sell them for like eight or ten dollars and but like on campus i'll bring like 30 of them with me and it was just it was just adding up a lot and um and then i i i kind of like audited myself i, I tried to put in a lot of money in the bank and i was really young and really stupid and i didn't know what to do with all my money so i decided to spend it all in south america one-way ticket and left the girl left everything and went with a friend and just started traveling peru bolivia and somehow I ended up buying a fucking kilo and instead of trying to spend all the money and then I got it was just a mess and I just had to leave Peru after like three weeks um I called my aunt and I like I had one shoe on and I just it was it was uh it was really 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 cool but also like one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life and um and this girl was still in in in, in LA and she was like, I'm going back home. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I was doing. I, I, I said, if you wait, I'll come back. And we drove cross country. I, I came back to LA and we drove cross country to Pittsburgh. And I, I just left everything. I, I left and all the full rides. I left every single thing. I left all the cocaine money in Ecuador. I just, I just left every fucking thing and moved to Pittsburgh. These could all be like three different movies. Like, you know, it's like, like, two years. like, but it's crazy from, from your time in, in high school doing the like cordon bleu thing. That's like the Disney channel original movie. And you used to call, <laughs> then you moved to college and are selling the weed browning. And now we're getting into breaking bad territory. And then you go to, uh, South America, somehow end up with a kilo and move back. Now we're getting into like weird a 24 territory. Like this is all. These are all. It was really. It was really. We. I had like. I had like four thousand dollars, and then I like. I just lied about being a bartender, and this. I met like everyone I've ever worked with is Israeli, including Ori Menashe from Bestia and Bavel. Yeah. We'll get to that, but like, I just remember just meeting this like Israeli owner of all these hostels, and they just gave us a place to stay, and they like, and we can move around from all these places, and I just lied about. um making drinks and uh, i i just like googled everything and i just learned how to like bartend and then the guys in charge of the bar were just these british guys just selling so much fucking dope it was crazy it was like it was it was, it was i remember never i like i was scared of drugs i wasn't scared to sell it but like i never even tried it once you know yeah. um probably not till like later uh or like actually cooking in la um all that being said give up everything my parents are pissed because i i left everything for some white girl and they worked really hard to get here and 
Um, and then I, I moved to Pittsburgh and she still thinks I'm Christian as fuck. Um, has no idea about any of this shit. We moved there and then she wants to get married because of her faith and, and so we just fell in love. Christian, were you doing like the full Christian? I was, I was, or... I was, I was going to church. I was, I was doing it. I was, I was just, and I just like, I did not, you know. I was just living a double life. Um, yeah, something I don't really talk about wanted, too much. And then she wanted to get married because, I mean, if you're really good, oh yeah, you, you know, you got to get married in order to no, yeah, yeah. We and like and uh, and I was like, yeah, let's get fucking, let's get fucking get married. And then I I was working at every job. I got fired from every fucking job you can think of. I was fixing bicycles. I was working at Guitar Center. I like uh, probably like 12 jobs in a year. And like, and that's just not like, I, I don't even know. It was, it was just such a weird, I worked at a Chipotle and I remember like I brought my own knives cause I, and they just did not like that at all. And, um, I remember a lot of recipes and I just remember like memorizing most of their recipes just they didn't like that either, but that's just how my brain works. And I remember just one day just like walking out and, uh, then I worked at some other like restaurants, just like, Hey, whatever job I can get. And it was kind of like igniting this kind of thing again, where I'm like, cool. This is, this is interesting. This is something I, I miss. This is my first time in a real kitchen in Pittsburgh in a fucking, you know, where people are like, Hey, make whatever you want. You have 30 minutes. I'm just like, strawberries and fried chicken and like i i don't i don't it was just a really i even remember there just the spices i would use and like how i would utilize food would always just be a different when people would eat it it doesn't mean it was good but it was different and if you can start there it can turn into something else you know um was that the start of your like style developing because you know we'll get there but like you have the style that, like, you know, for lack of a better term, you kind of fucked up as an eater. You don't really know, like, what type of flavors you're having, what cultures, what cultures you're dipping into. You just know it tastes delicious. I think the biggest, the biggest part is, like, living in L.A. and growing up here. But then after Ecuador, I haven't left L.A. for 10 years. I just worked for a bunch of chefs that I really, really, really liked. And I read every single thing you can read and I cooked and I don't feel like a lot of chefs, I could be wrong, but I don't think a lot of chefs cook as much as we think they do. Mm -hmm. You know, definitely you cook yeah. at another restaurant, you cook for someone else, but on top of that, like go back home and like make Tom Kagai 15 times, you know, <laughs> and until, until it tastes even close to what you want it to be, you know? go like mortar and pestle lemongrass or go work on a mole or like do something that you know it's not going to be right the first time and not the second time but like to put that much effort in something even when i like i i started i started making bread and i came back or like bestia and i was like in charge of the bread program and the pasta program i remember like i didn't know how to make bread but Ori just i he knew i really wanted to learn and i made i made like 10 loaves a fucking day every single day and fucked up every single loaf every single day out of my apartment for like six months 
you know. Um, I think that's more like the combination of that and just being like, just eating so much and tasting so much and just like also being told what to do Mm -hmm. for 10 years when I have like notebooks of these ideas that aren't very far away from the ideas I have now, but I just didn't know how to execute them. You know, I'll have, I just wouldn't know how to execute them. And, And then now I'm at a place where I worked for so long to learn how to do techniques, to do this thing, what to the point where it's, it it has become the art that I wanted or the cartooning or the, the guitar riffs where I could think of something and now it tastes like what I want it to be on a plate. I just ran a special that I've been thinking about for like fucking 20 days every single day. And it's a braising grilled beef tongue with a strawberry puttanesca and it's fermented strawberries, capers, uh, anchovies and um, like thinly sliced garlic with lemongrass oil. And we just kind of do that bloom everything and then add the fermented strawberries. And then that's the puttanesca with pickled green strawberries. And I made my own vinegar and a little bit of fenugreek powder for some roundness and then just lettuce cups. And then I made um, a, a, a rice paper um, out of beet powder and just little pieces of rice paper like three or four of them. And then you have the beef tongue and the strawberry puttanesca. And then I made a balsamic uh, ponzu sauce, which is just balsamic and dark soy. And and all of this came out of a place of just like, like bottling these ideas, but like, really it's like, you know, I kind of want to do like, like the short rib lettuce cup thing at major domo or this. And then that comes from something else. And then like, how do I make it something that I want? And then it's just like beef tongue tacos, but they're not beef tongue tacos. And then it's like strawberry puttanesca, strawberry puttanesca tomatoes, but it's strawberry. And that comes from Jeremy Fox's, you know, strawberry sofrito that I had 10 years ago while I was eating risotto. So all these, or not risotto, it was over uh, grits and, um, or polenta or however Italian you want to be at this moment. And then that with the strawberry sofrito and this. And so all these just accumulations of thoughts and ideas and inspirations and things that piss me off. And then it just becomes a dish and then it makes sense. And, and oh, yeah, this is absolutely fascinating. And we're going to get to your to poltergeist in the menu there because there's things I want to ask you specifically about that and your inspiration. But we we last left off in the journey of Argotti in Pittsburgh. You're, you're, you're making, oh. you're flapping back in the kitchen. How did you get back to LA and start working at some of the hottest kitchens here? We were about to get married. My Facebook was open and she read every single thing, every everything. She found out everything. We were about to get married. It was like the the, the week of we had everything ready. I was making my own cake. It was like it was just, you know, a small wedding at a garden. But we already like had all the paperwork going. My family was coming in. I haven't seen them in years. And everything was open. And she found out every fucking lie. Every single thing I've ever said. And it was two days before the wedding or three days before the wedding. Wow. And I've never felt that small in a long time. And um, and then she wanted to continue the wedding. and, and But then the day of. She called it all off. Can I ask you a question? Um, do you, do you think so? 
you hear of people like who who this happens to with like opening the leaving Facebook open or something right and they get found out. Earlier you said it, you were living a double life and it was really tough. Do you think part of you left that Facebook open in case two days like 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 just in case she found it two days before the wedding and was just like, hey, I don't know, I don't know if I can keep living this double life. I I'm I'm happy it happened. I'm really, I'm really happy. It was, it's something that like, I even think, I don't know, I'll probably be married with kids in Pittsburgh and working an office job or something that I just wouldn't be happy with. And every, everything just, it all ended and I didn't see her that day. And the next day was my birthday and I started packing my stuff and she said, let's go apple picking. And I, I, I was like, I'm, you know. I'm leaving back to LA. <clears throat> I call one of my friends who who had a restaurant. Her boyfriend at the time opened up a restaurant called Doomy's Home Cooking. Vegan spot? Yeah. And they just opened up on the fountain and they needed a dishwasher. I go I go apple picking and it's not there are no apples. We drive for two and a half hours and I see airplanes and I'm terrified of heights. And she knows this. I'm scared of fucking heights. I'm still scared of heights. And she's like, let's go skydiving. And I got you a ticket to go skydiving. And I know we're never going to see each other again, but let's go skydiving. And I was like, what the fuck? I don't, I still don't know till this day. And I, I went skydiving and I'm, I'm more scared of heights now. And there's nothing like getting like left at the altar the night before and then going on an airplane with some random man named Steve and you just fucking go on an airplane and then the, everything is silent and they turn the engine off and you just and you just jump off a plane. And then I move back to LA. The next day I get in my car and then I, I go to fucking LA. The whole thing sounds like surreal like a surreal fever dream, you know, just getting left at the altar. And honestly, like Jumping out of a plane can sound like a fever dream too. For you to have had those two combined is insane. Do you, do you want to know where we ate like our last meal together? Uh, Applebee's, Olive Garden. Oh, so did did Alfredo make a make a? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it was. Yeah, Alfredo was very much involved. <laughs> wow, dude, the, just the the poetic the poetic connections here are insane. All right, man. So you had a, a crazy, crazy couple of years there. How many years are we talking between like two, two, two and a half? Wow, that's insane. So two and a half years, all of this happens to you, and now you're back in LA at Doomies working as a dishwasher. I'm at Doomies. Um, I'm house sitting with like one of my friends who also like was going to get married, and his fiance like cheated on him with a blockbuster manager and just we were both in really dark places and I was at Doomies and I, I just I just I just learned how to do a lot of dishes and drugs and I was just I didn't care I didn't want to go back to school I didn't want to talk to anyone I think like it was just a very dark place but I was also watching all the cooks cook and it was something where I was like scared of cooking I never thought I'd be able to do that. And I was just watching people fucking not care, but think it was, it was, it was really weird. Just, just, just 
just thinking that they're that's the best they could be they're the best at doing what they're doing and and it's a very natural thing you see now and and it's just i just remember that being i like just starting to pick up a pan and flip something move something and just stare and watch like how long how hot is it how long does it take for that to sear what does that look like what what am i looking for and you know and it was it was just i had a taste for i think i can do this so then i start lying on a man i'm I'm a big liar i start lying on all my resumes and i just try to get a job anywhere and animal just opened up um, Chris Costantino did Umami Katessin that had like Jordan Kahn and Doug who owns uh, the new place in Pasadena right now who, who work um, I forgot what that bar the shoe well could, yeah um, but he used to he was like the sous chef there I work with uh, Michael Wexler who had the cure there it didn't last very long at the same time I was at Animal I lied like to both of my resumes spread myself so thin i got fired from animal within like three weeks of just you know i remember like michael marziano who was there like now we're like it's funny because he comes in to eat and we're like he barely remembers me um david sykes who now like like most of these people aren't even cooking anymore was like is now like a, a produce manager somewhere and i just remember being like the scariest kitchen i've ever seen at this time anthony bourdain just reviewed it it was like 2011 and uh i just didn't really i and then i got fired from this other job and i then i worked for this chef named victor casanova who owned gusto and that guy was probably the worst uh like i don't like talking shit about anyone but like like people throwing pans and belittling and like was probably one of the worst chefs I ever worked for. And I don't really want to talk too much about it, but like it was, it was definitely, it was definitely, it was, it was definitely something that like still fucked me a lot. And, but he had a sous chef there who was making these little pillows of Agnolodi. And I was just the weird kid that would braise oxtail and like blueberry beer and bring it to work <clears throat> and just like pickled lamb heart and just like bring it to work and like this is what i'm working on and i thought everyone loved cooking and and for, for it was just so weird to like just kind of be like like talked down upon for like trying to be creative and i remember this the chef at the time was the sous chef she ended up leaving everyone ended up leaving but i remember so the chef would drink so much rosé. I, I remember once he gave the fucking another sous chef a black eye in the middle of service. I remember once he had like a, a he was so drunk he had a scimitar knife and like he just called me a little fuck and would like hold a knife to my chest. And I remember like searing my finger once because I cut it and he would just like put it on a hot pan. The guy lost all his restaurants. I think he's in Las Vegas now. And but it was just the hardest. But but. I don't think he was, I think he was talented to some degree, but do I think he was the, what I learned was if I'm going to work for someone, they need to be so talented where it's worth it. And I don't even know if that's, that's okay anymore, but like I worked really hard for Ori and Minashi for a very long time because the relationship was obviously different, but the talent was there and the care was there. And I learned a lot and I just remember like 
the chef that I work with at the time, it was just, it just, it was just a whole different kitchen that I just, when people say it's not like how it used to be, like there's a good reason it's not as well, you know? Yeah. And did you go from still to working for Ori? No. Um, the sous chef there was making pastas and I, I made this oxtail dish and she was like, yo, there's this dish called, a Coda La Vassanara that has um, chocolate in it. And, and it's a Roman dish because the meat would rot and they would like put chocolate in there. And she was like, yeah, my old chef is, he was, a." Uh, she kept on talking about her old chef who was like Jewish and Israeli and would teach her this stuff. And he's opening up a new restaurant. I had no idea what she was talking about. And, but I saw her pastas. And then I remember there's a restaurant called Red Hill in Echo Park. And that's where I met some of my best friends, but I was sleeping outside of the parking lot in my car at the time. And I was a, 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 a prep cook in the morning. I was, I, I, it was a really hard time in my life. I, uh, I think I had like, I, I didn't show up to work once cause I had a 50, 150 and I like, I try to kill myself and I go back to work with a bandage around my arm and I washed dishes for, for with one hand for two weeks. You know, it was, it was a really, really, really hard time. And, and then I found a place and I found a place with some really close friends and some people I, that are still part of my life now. And it was just, we just cooked food and it was a very beautiful thing. And I never really wanted to go back to like fancy restaurants again. I just, I was in this little Echo Park Square cooking some food and I had a, I had a place and, and then this menu came out and Bestia just opened and I see Coda La Vassanara on the menu and I look at it and it says chocolate pasta and oxtail and I'm like, okay, what, what is, who the fuck is this? And the owner of this restaurant, Red Hill, had a little place called Local, which is right next to Thirsty Crow. Now it's Flore. And the guy was laundering a shit ton of money. Was, I can't, anyways, just, it was, a, it was I thought he, he, he let me be in charge of the restaurant, this little fucking kid, because I thought he yeah. believed in me and it wasn't the case. Um, and I was just running this restaurant on my own and doing the very best I could. And I was just coming up with specials and all this, but I was the best chef or cook in that kitchen and I wasn't learning anything. And then I found out what was actually going on. He was trying to sell it the whole time and just needed someone there to like make it look like there was revenue and there's so much fucking money laundering and everything you can fucking think of. And I, I had a breakdown and I was like, I, I quit. I went to my apartment one of my really close friends brought like right on time, like just gave me a gift of like five grams of like some of the purest shit I could ever have in my life. And I was just in my room for two weeks and I wouldn't fucking leave. And I was so depressed and I kept on staring at the bestia menu. So I took like five tabs of acid and I walked over from Silver Lake to bestia. And I asked for a job. Like you walked, you walked like eight miles. Sure. Yeah, I walked, I walked, I walked all the way down Sunset, all the way down Vignes, down, and just walked to Bestia, and I had the menu, and I asked for a job, and I was tripping on acid, and they gave me a tour of the kitchen, 
and I see these little pillows of pasta and I look at them and I'm like, that's the same pasta that that, that, that chef from Gusta made. I didn't really think about it. And then I come back for a stage and they forget about the stage. And I come back and I'm like, I'm not ready enough. I'm not fast enough. So I parachute half a gram of cocaine in a little piece of paper. And I'm like, this is going to make me fast and I'm going to be good. And I show up to my stage and I am fucking sweating bullets. I am, I am a mess. And I, my knives aren't sharp. I, everyone there quit to be a sous chef. Everyone quit a sous chef position there to go be a cook there. And we we're getting paid like nine or $10 an hour. And yeah. I, I was so underqualified and I go up and I am on one and I just, and then everyone's talking shit about every single play. Oh, you work for that guy. You know, this guy, you know, that guy. And I'm like, I'm just yeah. not, I wasn't used to that environment. And everyone was just, and I was like, what the fuck? Ori, Ori's cousin died that day. He comes back from a funeral and he goes, you work at Gusto. You used to work with Isabella. And at the time she would have like, you know, she would, she would leave restaurants and all this. And I'm like, oh yeah. And I just start, I talk shit about the wrong person. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Isabella, she leaves everywhere. And I was just like, look, I'm going to be cool. Like you guys. And he looks oh, and he's, no. and, he, and he's like, Isabella worked with me for five years. She was someone I care about a lot. And then he just like, I was done. I'm not going to get the fucking job. There's no way. So then I see, I also love pastries and that's why like, I would like, I, I would stage with a pastry chef at Red Hill. And I like, when the Budino tart came out, I saw Genevieve and I was, I'm literally like half a gram of cocaine, whatever the hell else I was on. And I go up to her and I'm like, hi, I just want to say, I really appreciate what you're doing with the Budino tart and the play on it and blah, 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 and chocolate. And she goes, who are you? And I'm like, my name's Diego. Um, and she's like, you work here? And I'm like, no, I, I have a stage and it's not going really well, but I just wanted to like, like tell you, uh, like, thank you. And then I just went back and I had a cut lamb necks with Ori. I had no idea what to do. He was just giving me projects to like go fuck myself. And I just like, I, I, I finished the stage. I was running around. I was sweating bullets and he sits me down and he has a paycheck and he says, look, you're, you're not going to, there's, I can't hire you. They're only like working, like they're only open for like five or six days. They'll close at like 10 or 11. And he's like, I'm about to open up. They're doing like 200 covers a night. And like, he was just like, I'm about to open up everything and change the restaurant and just really keep on pushing. And he goes, I don't think you're going to make it. And he gives me a paycheck and then Genevieve comes out and it's raining outside. And he goes, I need to talk to my husband. And they're just arguing. And I'm sitting there really awkwardly some other sous chef they're just watching everything because Ori said you should watch this this is a good learning experience so I was just sitting there I'm like this is interesting and I was like and then he goes I don't want to he comes back he goes I don't want to hire you but my wife is making me and she was pregnant to to Saffron at the time which is what Safi's is named after and all that shit but she was and she was like I'm 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 gonna hire you and he goes, you have 30 days. If you fuck up anything, anything at all, you're fired. 
I don't think you're going to make it, but that's it. And that was like his gopher for a fucking like 30 days. It just, and it's still like, like I was just fucking pick up anything, do anything. And I would just run. And, uh, I remember once he was, he was curing something. And like I said, I, I, I love math. I love math too, but math on math is really fun. Um, but math on math is really cool too. Um, but he was curing something and there was like a percentage he did and his hands was covered with blood and we're doing cope with the test. And we just like, I'm just cleaning up after him. He like butchered a bunch of like pigs. And I, I told him that the number that he came up with was wrong. And he was like, he was pissed. And then I, he checked it and he goes, how did you do that? And like from that day, I wasn't allowed to use a calculator at best yet for like, since I, till I left the bell, we would just do mental math together. We would do percentages together. Like I was not allowed. And he was like, and he also like, we literally would just fucking do percentages. We still do it. And just, it was like, just like do like conversions and shit. And, uh, and I got, we got really close. We got so close. I was like, cause like just, I wouldn't be allowed to be on the hotline, but like I would help him with whatever dishes he'll do. And we'll like, and then I work a salad station and I fucked up a salad really badly. And I, and I was trying to do it by myself and I was, and I should have asked for help and I didn't have the right ingredients and he fired the salad and then he fired me on the spot. No, even though you guys were so close. He fired me on the spot because he asked me, did you know it was wrong? I said, yeah, I, I, I should have asked for help. And he goes, oh, so you knew it wasn't right. You sent it out. And I'm like, I panicked. And he goes, like, he goes in and goes to the back. Kuya Lord is there. Maynard is there. He was the sous chef. They're all sitting down. And no one wants to fire me. And, and, and he doesn't want to either. And then he comes out. And he says, look, I'm going to talk to my wife like 10 minutes after. And I'm just outside and I'm just a mess. And he goes, I, I, I don't, I think I'm going to get your job back. And I'm like, I, Ori, and this is the first time I ever called him Ori. And I just cursed. And it was, and I was like, there's, there's no fucking way. I'm, I'm not going to, if I come back, I'm going to be your bitch. And I'm not fucking coming back. Like you, you fired me. And he wanted me to come back. And the next day, he calls me. I go to my apartment, you know, and just fucking just drink like crazy. And he tries to call me and he sends one of the sous chefs over there to like come see me. And I don't. And they're like, please just come and talk to him. And the next day, I show up with my bandana and I'm dressed for work and just as humble as possible. And he goes, I, I can't bring you back now because you you said no. And it's just a big fucking macho bullshit, you know, pride, egos. But he's like, I need someone. He just, and he just, I was, I needed money. And I was like, I was trying to work every single job I could. And he just gave me um, like a stipend to do the farmer's market. And I was just shopping and it was such a good job. And I had it for like three weeks and, and then I got fired. And then I was, he was like, I was like, can I still do the market? So I'll be buying all the produce for Bestia 
And then he got me a job at Spock and he goes, where do you want to work? And he goes, I'm opening up Bavel in six months, which was not, it was four and a half years um, till we actually open or five years till we open. He goes, and you're going to be the first hire, but we'll just send you somewhere for a couple of months and then we'll come back. And someone just like quit Spock with Chad Colby and I went there and uh, I, I got let go from there too after like eight months. Um, I, yeah, I had a really bad drinking problem. And I just, well, but also like just something about the kitchen wasn't the same. And I just keep on like, I, I, I don't think I pushed myself or I, maybe I pushed myself too much um, to the point where like self-destruction was always there. Um, and the kitchen was a lot more like lower pace and I really enjoyed it, but yeah, it just didn't, it didn't work out once with, uh, I know call no showed because I, I had food poisoning, but everyone thought I was partying and I didn't call back. And it's just, when you have a reputation of being that person, it's really hard to be honest when you are honest, Yeah, you know, I was loyal to Ori. I said, we're going to go. And that was one of the biggest distances is even same thing with Chad. It was like, what are your plans? And I'm like, I'm going to open up Pavel. I'm going to open up his Middle Eastern restaurants. And it was hard for people to believe in me or want me to like invest in me when I'm like, I have a goal. Yeah. Cause you're like, I'm not here for a long time. I'm I'm getting every single thing I can get from you. I'm getting every fucking recipe. I'm getting every fucking idea. I'm watching how you cut things. I'm watching how you organize things. I want to see your salt ratios. I want to see your percentages. I want to see how you fucking run a line. I'm getting every single fucking thing I can. Take everything I can. And 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 you know when someone does that. I write every single thing down. I draw sketches of all the setups. I look at what the fucking BTUs are in their in their gas grills I, I look at what kind of wood they use i'm looking at why do you you know every single fucking thing i can and it's like when uh, you're at chipotle like when you're at chipotle and memorizing the recipes there it's just like i just want to see systems and look at systems even good systems and bad systems and just broken spanish is really cool and it also it was just i learned a lot and then i was getting these ideas of like being a sous chef here and do this and and then I realized I knew how to butcher. I made a lot of charcuterie with Ori. I, I knew I worked. I, I, I knew I'd do that, and I was learning a lot of it. But I didn't. I started writing these weird ideas, and I, I wanted to do a chicken bread where I take a whole chicken, and I put it a, a loaf of bread inside the chicken and I bake the whole thing because the chicken normally bakes around 45 minutes at 450 degrees to 400 degrees, you know, uh, more or less to get an internal temperature, totally chill. But bread also does the same thing. So I'm like, they both have the same cooking times and, and I did it and I, I've worked on this dish before and it was, it, it turned out perfect in, in a way that just like the, and it's kind of like based off like that, 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 chicken with her that chicken with the bladder and in france with brioche and um all those dishes but but i didn't know how to make bread so 
I quit broken Spanish and they're like, why are you leaving? And I'm like, I, I, I told Ori like, yo, I quit. He's like, why are you leaving? And I was doing so well. And he was like, we're about to open up a bell, which was boring. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to go learn how to make bread. I, I need to learn how to make bread. I need to learn how to make pasta. I want to, I, I literally, when I, when I, when I quit, I was like, they're like, why? And I was like, I'm quitting to learn how to work with grains. <laughs> Which is just the like, but you have all this like future ahead of you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm going to go, I want to learn how to make work with grains. I don't know how to do that. And I'm going to, and, and I'm going to quit everything I know and do that. So I was talking to the, um, Andy from Bob and Grandma's and I was talking to every single person starting to make sourdoughs in like 2015, 2016. And I, um, and I, uh, I was also doing these like weird pop-ups inside of, like I was just doing a lot of weird shit, but it was it was cool. And Ori just fired his bread guy, and I was still delivering um, produce there. And I would, he would always be there. I'll do events with him. And Ori just fired the person doing bread and pasta. And he goes, "You want to go work with bread? Why don't you make bread here?" And I'm like, oh, you're hiring me back. And I'm like, fuck. And he goes, why? And he's like, why aren't you in charge of the whole bread program? And wait, have you learned grain? I never ever made bread. <laughs> oh, gee. Ever in my so, fucking life. So you leave broken Spanish to go learn learn about grains, and then or is like, yeah, just do it here. Do it here, and that's when I start making bread every fucking day. I started making pasta with the pasta maker. Uh, Jose, who just taught me, and I just was like every single fucking day. I made all the pasta for like two years, and at the same time, they were writing the best year cookbook, mm-hmm. and I just had a gigantic board and and, the, and like the math for bread and pasta and creating recipes. Like I was just, it was like I flourished so well, and and it was like it was just it was. Till this day, probably the happiest I've ever been in my life. It was the least amount of drugs I've ever done. I made bread every single day. I was in a relationship that I was really unhappy with. But even then, it was like, like, it was just, it was, it felt like a surreal world of just like, what, whatever. I, I don't even know how to describe it. And, and I didn't want to be a sous chef. I didn't want to be a chef. I just wanted to make bread and make pasta. And that was it. I was cool with that. I wanted to open up a bakery. I started making it. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to make like pasta, and, and then I'd help Ori with the cookbook, and we were developing recipes. And just a big part was just just transferring all the recipes, writing about different things, writing about the vegan, and it was like really cool to be a part of that. And then at the same time, I got Ori was working on all the R and D for Bavel. Mm-hmm. So anytime any of the recipes, the strawberry scoop for the Malawak, the, all the bread recipes, all the pita, him and I worked on it very close together. And I was, and it was just like, just being able to format those recipes and do all that and just like be there and like watch it grow into what it was, but also do it in a way that's like so seamless because you're not even like understanding what's going on because you're just numbers, you know? And percentages and two grams of this and 15 grams of that and five grams of this and three percent of that and it was just like i can handle that i can handle all of that and i love that 
and I, I think in numbers. When I develop a recipe, even like now, I just it's it's a percentage, and I see it change. Um, and then he lets go of one of his chefs. We're about to open Bavel, and right before we open, he goes, "Hey, I'm going to make you a sous chef for the restaurant." And I'm like, what, what? I haven't cooked for two fucking years. And he goes, you're going to be in charge of the hearth. Like all the main proteins. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to fucking cook. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to flip a fish. I don't know how to fucking cook a steak. I don't, I don't, you know. And then on top of that, I was doing the bread program for Bavel when they opened. And there's all these, we had like four or five sous chefs and, everyone was a sous chef somewhere else. Some people was like a CDCs of different places. And, and I was the most underqualified. I literally just got there because of, of, uh, they just let go of someone that they're going to bring. And it was really hard. And then a lot of people either quit or left or moved on. There was a very, a very hard job, but I like, I thrived in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I I loved it very much, and I was really I just when you go into something thinking that you don't even have a chance at being yeah good at it, you create this fearlessness of just just doing it, you know, and right. and then and it was and it was just it was and then watching Bavel open and being part of that and like I don't know it was it was. Then I started doing a lot of stuff and developing, uh, like in charge of the prep in the back, and then I moved from the hearth and start working on like R and D and stuff. And we just we worked on so much stuff together until the pandemic. Um, all the pitas, all the breads, and 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 the fermentation, and all like it was just it was it was so much. But I personally wasn't happy anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I was just drinking a lot. I was doing shit on the fucking drugs every single day to the point where I wanted to get fired. That was on yeah. me. I wanted to let, I was like, yo, I'm going to fucking, I get there at eight. I leave at two. I'm going to go do an eight ball at a fucking warehouse party every fucking night, five days a week. Like, please fucking fire me. Yeah. Just like fire. Like I need to, like, I need to just, just, I I do, I can't get out. I don't remember the last time I was sober and then I'll get promoted and I'm like, what the fuck? And then I'll get like a raise and then I'm just like, God damn it. And I'm just like, now I'm in the bathroom doing fucking just God knows what. And I'm a mess and I get promoted again. And I'm like, and it got to the point where during the pandemic, where my dad got sick um, and I, I needed to help him and I couldn't balance everything. And I remember like going to go like help him like change his fucking, and you got to change your old man's diapers and it's just a lot. And then you have two nosebleeds from doing so much fucking shitty drugs. And then you just look at yourself and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. And I, 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 I quit and you quit. And I quit Bavel. I quit Bavel, and I it was the pandemic, and I just started 
I lost my identity as a chef. I wasn't a chef anymore. Hmm. I was just, and it was really, really hard. And, and, but I was being told so much for like 10 years of what I can or can't cook. Yeah. And this is the first time I could cook whatever I want. Yeah. And I just remember being like, what should I cook? And, I remember on my phone just texting like a, a notes and I was like just weird food and I, I wrote three dishes down. That was a tortellini and pozole verde mm-hmm. um, with just a pork riette and hominy. And I did a cheeseburger ravioli with just, just braised chuck and beer and onions and i put a little piece of velveta inside each cheeseburger with shoestring fries and i did a ketchup and mustard pasta and it was like tomato paste pasta with mustard pasta and then i um and then i, I made a, a sauce of just butter and, and tomatoes and it was just very simple and then i put a secret sauce on top of just like you know just like just mayonnaise and ketchup and pickles and it was and then and then i did a, a chow fun guy which was like a, a version and 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 then it just developed these ideas of like what i want to eat and part of it was trolling i remember like noma start making cheeseburgers during the pandemic and i'm like everyone's making fucking cheeseburgers so i, I just wanted to make my own version of a cheeseburger and it happened to be a ravioli <laughs> that's brilliant and i set up behind this alleyway in Silver Lake, I text like 30 people and they, they show up and it just turns in. I'm still doing a shit ton of drugs at the beginning of this. And it just turns into this thing where, where like it, it, it worked and it was just very, it was, it was something special. And then, then this kid walks in and he's about to tag a wall and we should not be out there. And he's like tagging a wall. And I'm like, yo, um, are you guys hungry? And I cook him and he's younger and I cook him and his, his girlfriend, one of each dish. And the cook got like, he, he, he actually cooked too. And he was like a short order cook, or I think he worked at like a couple spots and, and just remind me a lot of myself, but it was it was funny because um, he ended up going to go work at Damian and went to go like try to work at other restaurants. He worked at here looking at you, and then and he found me a couple years later, like two years later, and he saw an article and he goes, "I remember tasting your food," and in the alleyway, in the alleyway, and 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 now he works with us at Poltergeist. At Poltergeist. Wow. And he is a little fucking crusty punk fuck up kid that just, but he, he, he cares so much. And it's like, it, it, Estrano started turning into something that was, 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 uh, it got out of hand and I was blacked out drunk doing just drugs on, on the line. And one of my friends told me, Hey, you have something really special going on, but you're going to ruin it because you, you're, you're ruining yourself right now. And I told him like, fuck off. And I took 10 tabs of acid, did two eight balls the next day. And 
And Estrada, for listeners who don't know, Estrada was the name of this pasta pop up, right? It's still it's still going. I I, I have I'm gonna it's gonna be very random. It could like the whole reason I opened up a restaurant was to continue Estrada. Yeah, and most yeah. most people do the other way around. Right. You you open up a place and, and then you get a brick and mortar and then you have five Dave's hot chickens. Cool. My, 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 what makes me happy is Estrano and it, it, it got so big that I couldn't do it out of my house anymore. And I was doing all the prep and it was just, I bought fucking like three refrigerators from Best Buy and it was just, it was not okay. Um, your, your friend was saying you're, you're going to ruin it basically. But this is like, yeah, at the, be- at the beginning. And I, I just remember being like, yo, like, fuck you. And I just, I, I, I did like, I, I did so much drugs that I got sober the next day and I, I stopped and, and then I had this idea of like, I need a bigger alleyway and I start driving around town and I'm looking for spaces and I'm with my mom and she sees me having like cold sweats and she's like, I think you have COVID. And I'm like, no, I am, uh, I am, I'm like, I just have cold sweats and she's like, what's that? And I'm like, I'm, I'm detoxing right now. And it's, you know, it's something really hard to like tell someone that. And, um, just the withdrawals and, and I just put all my energy into like finding a spot and I find a fucking alleyway and I just, we set up and I remember just, it just turned into something really special really quickly. And it was a lot more than just the food. And most of my staff now are people that were in line at Estrano. Cooks from Howard Ray's, cooks from other places that would just, just want to learn. And and at this time, I was I was using. Um, I met the owner of Button Mash. And I met him actually through some other pop-ups years ago. And I, I used to call myself double fisting Diego. And I don't r- recall any of that. And I told him to come to Bavel and he did. And I just like cool guyed him. And I was like, sorry, I don't know who this guy is. And he wanted to say hi. And then I went out to the floor and just said hi to another chef. And just like, literally like, just was like right next to him. And he thought I was an asshole. So then I asked him for help and I was like, yo, can I use your kitchen because you're not using it? And he was like, no, um, but you know, and then I came back to him and I'm like, I want to cook soups for Thanksgiving because everyone's dying. And a lot of people, I just want to do something. And he let me do it in the parking lot. And we kind of do that every year now, but, um, when, and just turned into this thing where he's like, what, like he saw it and he believed in me and and we were just friends and he was someone where like if I needed to borrow a thousand dollars for a COI or something he'll lend it to me and he was transitioning from going from button mash and letting tacos 1986 and he just opened up a place called Alma's which is a cider bar and he was like hey can you come up with a menu and I'm like sure and I, I did the waffles and the pickles and just kind of like it was like a one-off thing and we did it and and then he told me he was going to get tacos 1986 into the space at button mash 
and I was still in like a really tough place, but I was doing all these pop-ups and just really kind of, but we, we developed a really close relationship and, and then the tacos 1986 thing, they were supposed to like change their menu. They never did. And the neighborhood just wasn't happy about having a taco spot there. When you have starry kitchen was there, who was like a pop-up beforehand. It was so special. And it was, you know, when, and all them were like, it just, it sunk the place down in a place where you lost your clientele. Also, it's Echo Park. Angels is down the street. I'm there all the time, you know? And so you you saw me, he was going to have them leave for Dodgers. And around September, they leave without telling everyone, but we heard through a cook. It was just, it was a mess and a lot of pride. And they were supposed to change the menu and make it a special menu and they never did. And I just, I get in there on a Sunday, they're about to, we, we, uh, on a Monday, and I write pretty much what the bar menu is now. I, I've never made a cheeseburger in my life before for a restaurant. I made them for myself a couple times, and I remember having to learn how to make a cheeseburger. I have the Coke. <laughs> You're I like, Coke. I could make it in ravioli form, but I can't. <laughs> right. I don't. You know, I had this guy from Moo's Craft Barbecue who, like, some say he got fired. He says he quit. They were saying he's like an alcoholic and like he came to all the pop-ups. He brought me a joint with a crutch on them. I'll be very, very honest. I, I am I am sober on alcohol and methamphetamines and cocaine. That's those are my demons. Um I didn't start smoking weed until I got sober and anyone that left yeah. judges me for that can fuck off. I they call it California sober these days, I think. I, I call it surviving. I, I call it I call it I call it, hey, I'd rather fucking take some mushrooms right now than just like you know, turkey based my ass full of cocaine again. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, if you, and you, anyone wants to fucking judge me, I'm like, let, let handcuff me. Let's handcuff each other and I'll do, <laughs> and then I'll do a fucking fat line of like crystal meth and then hang out with me for a fucking day. <laughs> and then will you be cool if I do some mushrooms sometimes? Instead of ever doing that again, yeah. like, will you, will you be like, oh, that you're not really sober. It's like, well, yeah, thank you. But like, you know, like when, when I, when I want to relapse, I, I do, I like, I take acid, you know, yeah. and it just, that's like, just, that's, that's me. That's just, that's just, that's just me right now. And maybe one day I'll get better. But like the fact that I haven't put anything up my nose in two and a half years is something that I didn't, I didn't think would ever happen. Yeah. You know? It's a, I mean, not to use like all the stupid cliches, but. It's a journey, and honestly, it's only yours. But it was um, this guy from Moose, his name's Sebastian. He's my, my sous chef now. He brought me a, a a joint once that had a crutch that was a fusilli pasta. It was oh. a little fusilli crutch, and he told me he wants to work there. And I'm like, look, I'm about to do this project. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but if you want to come, show up tomorrow. And he just quit his job, and... Like, it was just a fucking thing. Um, and and we just started making burgers and make fries. And I make ricotta gnocchi on the menu. And we just start, like, in. And I'm back in a kitchen cooking, hand-cutting French fries. And this is in, in – then I have a wedding in October. This is last October. And I don't know what to do. And the, the place isn't – a dining destination so i call all my friends and i do this pop-up mayhem to buy me time 
and we just curate all these pop-ups with like you know evil cooks and and the bad Jew and and PRD and uh, little coyote and all my friends come in and help me fucking turn this kitchen that was just trashed and it's a beautiful place but like like it, it just it needed someone to care about it and what it really needed was a chef and it didn't have a chef and and I know it sounds weird to say hey an arcade bar needs a chef but when I was at Broken Spanish when I was at, at, at Bestia I would go to Butt Mash and go after a shift and go eat a burger because they're serving food late and and it was just a place that like. I was getting offers from other people and opening up other things. Something about the challenge of having a place that was doing so well and then had everything bad that could happen to it happen to it. And then having an opportunity to turning that place into something else. That was what I needed to validate that I can do this, that I can run a kitchen on my own, that I can cook whatever I want to cook, that I can run a team, that I don't have to be a Victor Casanova. I don't have to fucking, I can be myself and, 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 and do that in my terms. And the whole idea was just to do like a Middle Eastern menu and just like a one-off, not have my name on it. And then still use the kitchen as a ghost kitchen for Astrano. So we'll make hummus and pita bread and then I'll just be there and then just doing Astrano stuff. And the more we're looking at the numbers and what how slow it was and what what in our and we kind of came up with an idea of like if we have a small budget for some kitchen stuff we have we don't have a lot but if we're gonna take this risk why don't we go all out and that's where I had the idea for poltergeist. And with Jordan and I, we were up till 4.30 in the morning every fucking night just writing a menu together. Just writing a weird fucking, like, this and that. And I was like, I want it to be 12 items. And he would be like, I, I want, you know, a big inspiration is, like, everything in New York, but I've never been in New York. And he's like, look at this, like, like make a squishy bread. I want a squishy bread. I want a burrata and he wants a green salad. And I said, go fuck yourself. So then like <laughs> I made, I made the Parker house roll with the fermented butter. And like the fact that I was with all my cooks yesterday and we went to dancing. So we, we went to go get that short rib last night, really late. And I just remember wow. talking about the Quinnells at four in the morning with all the cooks. And like, I, I just took them out and, and one of our cooks started crying and he was like, you have no idea how hard it is to make a Quinnell. And, <laughs> and, and he was from a county and I was like, I do. And he's like, there's no reason we need to do that, but we do it. And I'm like, for me, it's, it's, in, in, it's a fuck you to like every fucking restaurant in LA, but it's also like, I love what I do. And yeah. apparently this, this Mauricio, who's, who's one of the closest He's a very special cook. He's a very special person. And he, he he saves me every day. They all do. But he would he would get peanut butter with a hot spoon and practice quenelling every fucking day. <laughs> well, that's what like you were saying. Like it's the people who like go home and fucking cook. You know, those are the people who are like who love to do it. It's the same thing. If you if you love this yeah, get the peanut butter out, get the hot spoon, and quinell your ass, quinell your ass off. Yeah, it was it was the iridescent silverware, and my version of a of a burrata plate was 
octopus burrata and then the green goddess salad. We're going to call it the green goblet salad. And I just, I was able to do all these ideas, but I, it needed to be sustainable. Like I can, I can cook really weird food once a month in an alleyway and that's fine. Yeah. But to like see a business and look at numbers and like numbers don't lie and like actually do something that's approachable and I don't change all the time. And I have to be okay with that, which I never knew if I was, you know, I still don't know yeah. if I am, but like, like, it's like, I wanted to change the menu like three times already, the whole fucking menu. And I'm like, why am I, do I need to do that right now? There's a lot of people who haven't tried it. There's a lot of people who want to try it. There's people who want to try it again. And it's yeah. like, what would I do? What would I do? What am I proving and to who? Yeah. I will say if I went back and cause I went recently and absolutely, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass, but it's like the best meal I've had all year. And I loved the game hen. I loved the lamb neck. And if I were to come back and it wasn't there, I'd be pissed. Yeah, you know, and that's why, like, I've been, like, working on all these new specials and, like, other ideas. And, like, I have a replacement for every single dish there. I know exactly what I want to do with every single dish there. But also, it's, like, it's a restaurant, but now we're busy and it's crazy and it's 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 lively and and we're able to make it special and the food that's coming out of that kitchen with four cooks is i'm like i'm honored to be around that amount of talent i don't care what responsibility i have for for that but the fact that they're doing what they're doing and the team behind it and Rachel in the morning and just, we don't have a pastry chef. We don't have every fucking person there knows how to make a cake more or less. Everyone, we all spin ice cream. Abel Vista, the little crusty punk kid fucking puts avocados in a blender and just follows recipes. And these recipes are developed the way I learned how to make bread. So they're all off grams and, you know, and, and it's just like, it's, it's a special place that, that I um, it, it's really just brought me right before we opened. I was going through like another just a, a breakup, and it was like old hard, and 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 I was able to harness all this in a place that just like gave me it gave me a beginning again. Like I I yeah. I I can I I feel like I'm establishing myself as a chef on my own now. Yeah, you know I'm not. It's funny because like poltergeist means like haunted, right? It's like, but it sounds like for you, it's almost this was an exorcism of sorts. I don't know. I that's the reason I wanted the name is because there's so many other like people behind it and Starry Kitchen and Tacos 1986 and and I was like, this place has been a home for other people, and if I go in there and I just I just do something normal, it's not. I gotta go. I gotta fucking make ruckus. I gotta I gotta break plates. I gotta do something that no one else is doing. I gotta, like I gotta fucking just go and make noise. Yeah. And poltergeist is also a a. It's a way of calling a ghost kitchen for Astrano without calling it a ghost kitchen. That's cool. Wow, that was over my head, but that makes sense. Any chance we're going to see an Alfredo on your menu anytime soon? Um, I uh, some 
I I need these lobster Alfredo soup dumplings sometimes that are cool. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I'm uh, where I I take the cream, I take green, I take a lobster roe and all the bits and and cream and um Parmesan rinds and I cook it down and then I add gelatin to the cream. And I add a piece of that with some poached lobster into a dumpling that's a squid ink wrapper. And then I, I just, yeah. So that, that's the closest thing I've done to Alfredo. But that sounds pretty close to me. And honestly, it's cool to see everything come full circle. Yeah, man. I, um, really quick, uh, you're asking about favorite places in Burbank, um, Corner Cottage Breakfast Burritos, uh, the original GMLs, um, like, like pepper steak and cheese or pastrami over there. And they have everything done through RC provisions. It's kind of like the birthplace of all that. I really like a turkey and avocado panini with feta at the handy market over there. I go to Pinocchio's to get overcooked pasta and meatballs um, since I was like six. Um, yeah. Now, uh, donuts on magnolia under like donut king or donut prince is really good so it's it's a good spot There's, i last question this wasn't on the agenda but i just you yeah. know hearing your story i just wanted to ask like young people you know young cooks who you know are trying to get into it who have a passion who have an idea what would you tell them i remember like like talking to one of my best friends now chef at Red Hill I remember talking to them and being like um I want to be a chef and they told me not to and they said don't do it and honestly part of me wants to tell whoever asked me not to do it um <laughs> and the and the main reason is because if you really want to do it you're just gonna say fuck you and, and find a way to do it and I love that the best thing is just to just to just to do it. It's gonna get really hard, and you're gonna fail so many times. But like, if that's something you really want to do, you're you're gonna find a way to do it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Diego, thanks thanks for coming on. I'm gonna be coming back to Poltergeist very soon because uh, yeah. honestly, all this talk has just made me hungry. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. What are you doing? Why aren't you at Poltergeist yet? I'll meet you there. But seriously, if you enjoy this episode, I hope you'll go to wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll leave us a rating, a review. Maybe you'll even subscribe if you should be so inclined. If you're looking for me, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N.